0: We're so glad that each and every one of you are here. Let's pray this morning one more time. God, we just thank you for your presence in this room today. We thank you for what you're doing already, God, through this church. We thank you for each and every person who serves and, God, who gives to this house and, God, all that it makes available to this community. And we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, I just want to uh, dive right in today. I'm excited because I—I I don't know about you guys, but I love firsts. I love being—I love being the first. I love doing things for the first time. Anybody else love firsts? I love firsts, so I'm very excited about this Sunday. I've been anticipating it for a very long time, and one of the main places that I feel like we really pay attention to firsts is in our relationships. We remember the firsts in our relationships. We remember those first dates. We remember those first kisses. We remember when the first time someone says, I love you. We remember the first home, the first child. We have three children now. We do remember the first one, generally. We don't always remember all of them. But we've been married for 14 years. And one of the firsts that I remember for Kristen and I is I remember the first, I'll call it an argument. I remember the first argument that we had does anybody remember the first argument that they had with their significant other? This is what I've, I've learned as you look back on the problems that you had is uh, when I look back on the problems and the things that we argued about 14 years ago, I wish I had those problems now. I wish that those were the problems that we were arguing over now because we argued over the pettiest, most ridiculous things that were not actually things that you should argue about. Our first argument was over what kind of milk we would buy as a family. What kind of milk we would buy as a family. Now this is a ridiculous argument for a number of reasons. One being that you are not restricted to only buying one kind of milk. If you want to get two kinds of milk, you can get two kinds of milk. And that is what we did for nearly a year. We had two half gallons of milk in our refrigerator. Because the home that I grew up in was a solid 2% house. Anybody, 2% people when it comes to their uh, dairy products? All right. Um, I have since graduated to Whole Milk. Whole Milk people in the house. Whole Milk got to cheer both services. I'm excited about that. Uh, Kristen grew up, please don't boo. Kristen grew up in a skim milk household. Skim milk household. Wow. Skim milk, uh, I, don't, I, told, I told her in so many words that I don't think that skim milk qualifies as milk. Skim milk is basically uh, like white water, and it's disgusting to me. It's barely worthy of cereal. It's definitely not drinkable. It is definitely not drinkable, but we fought over the kind of milk that we would have. That was our first fight, and I remember even before that when we were dating, the first time that I went on vacation with Kristen's family. Now, if you've ever been in a serious relationship, the first vacation with the family is a very interesting thing because you have grown up in your family and you've seen the way your family do things. And even if your family does things very strange and out of the ordinary, you, your entire adult life, you think that that is the way things should be done. You think that things should do things the way that the family you grew up in does things. And then you're introduced to this other family who does things different than your family. How dare they? And so we went on vacation, and Kristen and I had only been dating for six weeks, and we went to the mountains for a week with her family. And what you need to know about her family is her family does not travel light. They travel large. So this was not just her immediate family. This was her entire extended family. This was aunts. This was uncles. This was cousins. I kid you not, there was a friend of theirs that was honeymooning in the area, and they joined us for a few nights. Uh, It it was just, the door was open. Anybody that wanted to be on this vacation could be on this vacation. That in and of itself was very different than the way I grew up. But then one day we're on this vacation, we wake up and all of the cousins are very excited because they keep saying it's movie day. They're very excited that it's movie day. Everybody's so stoked about movie day. And I'm excited about movie day because I like to watch movies, but I'm sensing that there's more to movie day than I suspect. And so I'm thinking we are going to Watch a movie. Exactly. I think we're going to watch a movie. Well, then out comes a hat, and we're drawing Bible stories out of the hat, and then we're drawing teams out of the hat. Come to find out, they don't watch movies on their family vacation. They make movies based on Bible stories, and then at the end of the day, they watch all of the previous year's movies, and then they will premiere the ones from this particular trip. And someone pulled me aside and explained this to me as though it was the most normal thing I could have been being told. That, no, we're actually not watching movies. You're going to get a story. You're going to get your Adam and Eve, and you're going to make a movie about that that is appropriate for an entire generation of a family to watch tonight. And we're going to all enjoy that together. And I remember sitting there thinking, what kind of family is this? What have I gotten myself into? And on the first day of this church, what you guys need to know is that you have walked in to a family, that this is a family of believers. And you may be wondering this morning, what kind of family is this? What kind of place have I walked into? And so we want to just take the next couple weeks and talk about the kind of family that we are. Because when we first started as a church, before we even had a single meeting, Kristen and I would sit down and we would discuss what we wanted our church to look like, what we wanted our church to be like. And we knew from the beginning that we wanted our mission statement to be very simple. We felt like Jesus did a very good job of laying out the Great Commission, and so we would make our mission to make disciples. We we want to train people who follow the way of Jesus, who live life like Jesus. We want to make disciples. But we also understand that all churches have kind of unique characteristics and unique people and places that they go and that they meet. And there was this day where we were reading in the Psalms and we ran across this verse that we had heard before, but it really just jumped out to us. We knew that this was a foundational verse for the forming of Harbor Church. And it was in Psalms chapter 68. And it says this, it says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun. Scorched land. And it was that first line, God sets the lonely in families, that really resonated with us. Because we knew if there was one thing we wanted to describe Harbor Churches, that we wanted people to feel like this was a family. That God sets the lonely in families. And that healthy family functions a certain way that the family of God was meant to function. And for some reason, even as we begin to make the move here, as we begin to pray over this city and learn more about this city and to live in this city, we genuinely sensed this feeling of that there are a lot of people in our community and beyond that are living lonely lives, that, that they are lonely. And I would suspect that many of you in this room are lonelier than your social media accounts would make us believe that many of you in this room are lonelier than your calendar full of social events would cause us to believe. Because loneliness has never been more prevalent than it is right now in this season coming off of a pandemic where we have been socially distanced and politically divided and sent into isolation. People are feeling more lonely than ever. And when we first moved here, I think it was this mix of all that was going on with the pandemic and all of the change that was happening in our lives. But I can say truly for the first time, I personally experienced a season of intense loneliness. And, and I didn't really understand it. And I, I'm one of those kind of people that I like to try to figure out why something is going on, whether it's in myself or somebody else. I like to analyze it and mull it over in my head. And, and, and the loneliness to me did not make sense because we had plenty of friends in this region. We had friends who moved with us and were part of what we were doing in this region. And what I kept coming back to was, I don't know why I'm lonely because I'm not alone. But, but the truth is that you can be lonely and not, and, and not alone. You can have people and still be lonely. Because loneliness is not about not having people to be with. Loneliness is not having a people to belong to. See, we were all created to belong to the family of God. We were all created to be in a family, and when we are not living in that family, there is something missing. There is a sense of belonging that is missing, and that sense of belonging or that lack of sense of belonging leads to loneliness. I would suspect that many of you are surrounded by people, and yet you are lonely. You are surrounded by people, but you are lonely, And there's a story in the book of John that always captures my attention because there's so many different aspects of what's going on in the story. But one of them is prevalent to what we're talking about today because we're introduced to a man who he has been paralyzed for a very, very long time. He's been paralyzed for 38 years And he's been laying in one specific spot for a very long time, and he's there for a reason. He's there because at this time, it was believed that there was this pool called Bethsaida that when an angel stirred this pool, the first person to get into the pool would be healed. And so this man was not alone in laying by this pool. He was surrounded by people who were wanting to get into this pool. You can imagine how a place like that would gather anybody with any disability, any need at all. So this was a place that was full of people who had needs. And we pick up the story in John chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in his condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now I want us to notice a couple things in these verses. And the first is this, that this man was not alone. He was surrounded by what the Bible tells us is a great number of people. He was surrounded by a great number of people and Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus comes to him and he says, do you want to get well? Now, this question over the years has gotten a lot of scrutiny because it seems like it's a very obvious question. It seems almost like a silly question. Why would you ask someone who has been lame for 38 years if they want to get well? And there's been a lot of discussion about why Jesus would ask this question. We need to acknowledge our need that we want to get well. But what I think is interesting is that the man does not actually acknowledge that he wants to get well. Jesus says, do you want to get well? And the man's response is, I have no one. I have no one. In this moment, he doesn't point to his physical condition as the reason that he can't get to healing. He points to his relational condition that I have no one in my life to get me where I need to be to get the healing that I need. And I would imagine that in a room like this, there are plenty of us who we need healing for some brokenness in our lives. There are some areas that we need God to touch, but if we are really honest, we would say we have no one. That we may be surrounded, but we are alone. See, this man's answer to this question is actually quite vulnerable. It's actually a hard answer to give because it was obvious that he was paralyzed. His need was obvious. He was lying on a mat, unable to walk. There was no question what his issue was it would have been very easy for him to just say, I can't get to the pool because I am paralyzed. Because often it's much easier to admit the obvious need than the hidden need. See, so often we have an obvious need that may be be clear to everyone around us, but the truth is that we have a hidden need that we have yet to acknowledge. See, this man knew that he was paralyzed. Jesus knew that he was paralyzed. But what this man needed to realize was that he needed people to get to where he needed to be. That, that he needed more than what he was being asked. That he needed people in his life. See, this man was not in a community. This man was surrounded by a crowd. And there is a difference between a crowd and a community. There is a difference between a crowd and a community. But, but this can be deceiving because if you had looked at this scene from the outside, it would look a lot like a community, It has a lot of the descriptors of a community. This is a group of people that are gathered together in one place. They're gathered because they have similar needs. They're gathered because they live similar lives. They have a similar goal. And yet the difference between a crowd and a community, the thing that makes this place a crowd and not a community, is that these people were gathered only to get their own needs met. They were not looking out for the needs of one another. And so when that water was stirred, it was every man for himself. And in a healthy functioning family, in the community that is a family, the family of God, we have to be a place that looks out for one another, not just our own needs. Because when you look out for your own needs, you will trample someone before they get in the pool so they can't receive their healing. But when you look out for one another's needs, you carry someone to the pool, And we have to be a family that builds community because we are for the lonely. We are for the lonely, and so we build community. And so often, loneliness feels like a personal struggle. You are the one that is lonely. You are the one that feels isolated, and so it feels like a personal struggle. But the truth is that loneliness will affect your decisions and your relationships, and you will always settle for less when you are lonely. You will always settle for counterfeit when you are lonely. When you are lonely, you will enter into relationships that you do not belong in. When you are lonely, you will take habits that you should not take up. Loneliness will cause you to settle for less. I remember this time when I was a kid. um, I was just reaching the age where I could stay home by myself for short periods of time. And someone had dropped me off at our house My parents weren't home. My older brother wasn't home. My older sister wasn't home. And uh, I got kind of bored and I got kind of lonely. And so I started to try to think up some fun things that I could do while no one else was in the house. And what I came up with was I knew that my sister was going to be the first one to come home after me. And I knew that she would be the first one to come home. I knew that she did not like coming home to an empty house. I knew that she was afraid of staying at home alone. And so, in my 12 year old mind, I thought a good idea would be if I dressed in all black and put on a ski mask and waited behind her bedroom door. And so, I got in all black, I put on the ski mask. I wait behind her bedroom door. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I hear the downstairs door open and I am very excited. I hear the downstairs door open. I hear someone coming up the stairs and they pass my sister's room. And I'm like, okay, well that's interesting. It goes back and forth for a bit. And then finally I peek my head out and it's my older brother, Zach who is six foot four basketball player, not my sister, mid-teen sister. And so luckily at this moment, I had, I had pulled the ski mask off. And I got to be honest, I was like four feet tall till I was like 13. And so I don't even know who would have bought this whole black ski mask situation, but I was excited about it. And my brother said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm going to scare Ashley. Do you want in on this? And he was like, no, this is a horrible idea. This is a horrible idea. You will scar her for life if you do this. You already know that she doesn't like coming home to an empty house. You know that she doesn't like being home alone. You need to not do this. And see, that's what happens when we don't have people to check the little good ideas that we get in our house by ourselves when we're home alone. Because we need people to come alongside us and be willing to say, that thing that you're about to do is not a good idea. This is not a good decision. This is not a good relationship. But when you are lonely, you will settle for worse decisions and less relationships. And that is why you belong in a community. You belong in a community of believers that can keep you checked when you're walking down the wrong road. You belong in a community of people that can let you know when you're entering into relationships that you should not be in. But this man was laying amongst a crowd who was concerned about their own needs and not his needs. See, this man was amongst like-minded people, but I can tell you this. There is nothing worse than thinking that you are in a community and finding out that you are in a competition. This man found out that he was actually not in a community. He was in a competition, that that when the water started to stir, it was about who could be the first in. When the water started to stir, it was about who was going to get the blessing. When the water started to stir, it was about who was going to receive the healing. But when we build true community, we understand that God doing something for one person does not mean that there's less for God to do for me. We understand that our God can do for someone else what he does for me. And so when we see God work in someone else's life, we celebrate because we know if he can do it for them, he can do it for us. We look out for for the needs of one another that is why we build community and that is why at harvard church we are less concerned with attracting a crowd than we are with building a community that's what we're about we're about building a community and one of the things that i find interesting is that we see these stories all throughout the new testament about people being healed in the presence of God, about people being healed in the presence of Jesus. And, and those stories, they have some things that are similar and some common denominators, and then they have some things that are completely different. And we have another paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2. He's in the same condition as the man who's lying at the pool of Bethsaida. He's lying on a mat. He cannot walk. He cannot get anywhere on his own. And this is his story. It begins in chapter 2. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic Carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. See, in true community, we do what these friends did. These friends carried this paralytic to Jesus these friends carried this paralytic to the place where they knew that he could get help this these friends carried this man into the presence of Jesus see the thing that is the common denominator in these stories is the presence of Jesus is what brought the healing the presence of Jesus is what changed these lives the presence of Jesus is what brought healing when people need healing and so we are a house that we build community and we point people to the presence of God we point people people to the presence of Jesus because we know that he is the one that changes lives. And that is why we gather and that is why we worship and that is why we sing because we believe that there is power in the presence of Jesus. We believe that there is power in the presence of Jesus. See what I like about these friends is that they carried this paralytic to Jesus and when they got there there were obstacles in the way. It says that the room was too full. It says that they couldn't get in. It says that there was no way to Jesus. But but these friends did not allow those obstacles to stop them from getting this man to Jesus. These friends did not allow those obstacles to allow to not get them to Jesus. What they did was they got creative and they tore the roof off of the building they were in to get this man to Jesus. And at Harbor, we are willing to tear some roofs off of some traditions and some things that people might think are the way that you always do things if it means lowering someone down into the presence of Jesus. We don't care about doing things the exact way that everybody has always done them if it means that we can point people to Jesus. We're going to get creative. And it doesn't matter if some people say, I've never seen it done that way. I bet when these friends got up on that roof and they were ripping it off, there were a lot of people who said, I've never seen anybody enter a room through the roof but some friends knew that their friend needed healing so they were willing to take the roof off of the building and lower their friend down and it was okay if people were standing back saying hey that's not how you get into the room what mattered is at the end of the day the person that needed healing received healing what matters is at the end of the day the person that needed to experience the presence of Jesus experienced the presence of Jesus and we are going to be the kind of church that we get creative and we rip the roof off and we lower people into the presence of Jesus because we exist for the lonely and so we build community that points to the presence of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?